Hey, if you've got your Bibles, uh, go now is the time to get them out. Uh, we are going to be in the Old Testament book of Micah. Micah is actually uh, a part, well, if you kind of look in your Bibles, it's, I don't know, somewhere in the middle-ish. You probably need to go to the table of contents. But Micah is part of a collection of Old Testament prophecy books, uh, the 12 minor prophets. There are major prophets and minor prophets, uh, 12 minor prophets. And the difference between the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, is not that some are more important than the others. It's just that the books of the Bible are longer. So whereas the book of Isaiah has 66, six chapters in it. Uh, the book of Micah only has seven. It's a very short uh, uh, book of the Bible. And so there are 12 what are known as uh, minor prophets uh, throughout uh, the Old Testament. And uh, so as you're turning there, I uh, just want to remind you, uh, the prophets that God called and used in ancient times came to God's people over and over and over and reminded them to return to come back to God because they had gotten off course. And so God uses this prophet Micah to come and speak to God's people um, and, uh, and remind them to come back to return to God. As Jeff said, we started a sermon series a couple weeks ago called Waiting for Christmas. And the idea behind this sermon series is that as we're preparing our hearts, our minds uh, to get ready, um, that, that God's people have been preparing for a long, long time to get ready for the Messiah, the rescuer, the one who would come to save God's people. And so uh, we just consider ourselves among many, many people throughout history uh, waiting for the Messiah to come. And so each week we've been looking at a different prophet uh, in the Old Testament. We spend time looking at the prophets in the Old Testament because Jesus talked about the prophets in the Old Testament. Over and over and over, uh, Jesus quoted and, and recorded and, and talked about all the prophets that went before him. And not only that, those prophets were always pointing ahead. So as Jesus is pointing back, reminding God's people of what the prophets said of old, the prophets are pointing forward to Jesus saying, the Messiah is coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Did I give you enough time to get to, to Micah this morning? All right, very good. Well, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the prophet Micah. We thank you, God, for uh, as we open your word this morning and continue to reflect on how Micah is pointing toward you. And so, Lord, as we prepare our hearts and minds, uh, invite us, Lord, to always walk deeper with you as we walk deeper with one another. And God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, the college students are starting to trickle back home. I know we've got a couple college students with us this morning, and so I just want to say welcome back. It's good to have you back. And uh, we have two college-age uh, young men in our household, and so I know what it's like over Christmas to do a little bit of check-in uh, when they're not sleeping. And so we have lots and lots of conversations about life and vocation and career and all 
those things and it continues to be the same question of what are you going to be when you grow up uh, kind of thing. And I'm always, I always marvel at these young people uh, who start out, they have a track, they have an ambition, they have a goal. I'm going to be a teacher, I'm going to be a nurse, I'm going to be an engineer, I'm going to be a lawyer. And, and then they go to college and they just kind of go through that track and then they graduate and then after they graduate from college, they actually go off and do that thing what they were planning because that was just not my story at all. <laughs> my dad, I think some of you know, was a social worker. And so in my head, my plan was to uh, eventually someday become a social worker. And so when I got to college, I first studied psychology. And while I enjoyed uh, the, the study of psychology, I was, had lots of other interests, and uh, so I took a detour, and I, I moved into sociology, and I thought that was really interesting, too, um, but I really wanted to learn more about economics, and so I changed my major yet again, and I went down this road of economics, and, well, economics was a little bit difficult for me, and so I made yet another detour, and then I dabbled in linguistics um, just long enough to know that that was not the field I should be going into, and so I pivoted, went down another detour into political science. Interesting, but yeah, not me. So then at some point in time, the registrar sat down with me and said, if you're going to graduate from college, you need to stop taking all these detours. You need to land on something now. And so I landed on history, and I just enjoyed history, and I graduated with a degree in history. And so I, gra I graduated from college, and I thought, well, I'm going to go, I'm going to try the social work thing because, you know, that's what my dad did, and that was kind of my plan. And so I did social work. I made a commitment to serve with a social service organization. But unfortunately, the first week of that, uh, that ministry, that organization, I learned I was not meant to be in social work. And so I made another detour away from social work. And uh, fortunately, God had opened some doors for my wife and I to uh, 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 go overseas. And uh, we were missionaries for several years. And uh, we finally thought, I thought we were kind of on this path, right? This great path. And then all of a sudden, God said, nope, I'm going to take you on yet another detour. And somewhere along the way, um, I, I studied for the Foreign Service exam. I thought I was going to you know, be a diplomat, work for the State Department. And so I actually spent 18 months preparing to take the Foreign Service exam. And I was getting ready to sign up. And they had a, 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 a information out that they were no longer offering the Foreign Service exam that year. They had I, too many diplomats, I guess. And so I just it was just this constant detour after detour after detour. And, and so um, my wife and I now, we've got um, one point, I don't know, two kids in the house. We had a newborn. Um, I'm on like my ninth detour vocationally, and I needed a J-O-B. Anybody with me, right? <laughs> And so um, there were several churches that were looking for people, and so I went into youth ministry, and that lasted for a number of years. And then I detoured into a small group ministry, and finally, I ended up becoming a pastor. All this to say, my route to standing before you this morning has been long and winding and full of detours. 
Have any of you gone through detours in life? Right? You're starting out and you're thinking to yourself, oh, this is my plan for life. It's up and to the right until it's up and to the left or down and to the left, right? And not just vocationally, but maybe you're cruising along with a job and all of a sudden you get the news that that job is no longer available and you're like, whoa, detour. Or maybe it's something not even related to a job or to a career. Maybe it's a relationship. You've got this plan, and then all of a sudden a relationship falls apart, and you hit a major detour. Or maybe you're going through life, and you've got all these plans with your kids and your family and all this stuff, and then the doctor gives you a diagnosis. This was not part of my plan. And you fall off into a detour. Anybody on a detour right now, or just me? Anybody ever been through a detour? If you've never been on a detour in your life, just wait. It's coming. And so this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about what it means. How do we navigate through the detours of life? Those things that are unexpected that come along that we just don't see happening and so while we're waiting for Christmas, while we're waiting for Jesus to show up and guide us through our detour, we're reminded that God's people were often on a detour. God's people oftentimes had plans that they were supposed to go this way, and for either their purposes or their reasons, they ended up going that way. Or God said, you think you want to go this way, but I'm telling you, you need to go that way. And so this idea of detours, this is a familiar idea for God's people over and over and over uh, throughout uh, the Old Testament. In about 700 years before Jesus came on the scene, God sent the prophet Micah to invite God's people to come back to him. At this point in time in, in, in Israel's history, 700 years before Jesus, God's people had gone off the rails. They had created their own detour. Now, sometimes um, we create our own detours, right? We make bad decisions. Because the consequence of our sin sends us off into a detour. Other times, detours happen in our lives, and it's not our fault, right? It's just life gets in the way. Life and circumstances get in the way. In this particular circumstance, Israel's sin had got in their way. They said, I want to be all about our, myself. I want to go my way. I want to do my stuff. I want to take care of me. And so gradually, over years... They strayed away from God. They said, we, we don't need you, God. We got it. We're going to take care of ourselves. So God sent Micah, the prophet, to say, come on back, to stop living your own way, to stop living the way of the culture, to let go of yourself and to follow me again. And so God came to Micah and used him to speak to God's people. Just a little more context here. Um, things were pretty bad for God's people. Again, there's, there's consequences for, for sin, right? And the consequences for God's people is God allowed the Assyrians to conquer them. So here they are, and there's Assyrians all around. They've already conquered the northern kingdom, and the Assyrian army is standing at the gates of Jerusalem. 
And onto the scene comes Micah as the people are crying out, God, save us. God, rescue us. Help us to get off our detour. So let's look what Micah says, beginning with verse 1. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. There is literally a siege of military soldiers surrounding Jerusalem. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will rule over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And he will be our peace when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses. We will raise against them seven shepherds, even eight commanders. Over and over, Micah is speaking these words of, it's bad. I know it's bad, and it's going to get worse. Because the Assyrians do eventually invade. The siege works, and Jerusalem falls. But he says, better days are coming. Better days are coming. Where are they coming from, by the way? Because Jerusalem is, is the epicenter of God's people. So where are these better days coming from? But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me. Better days are coming from Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a small, obscure little town six miles outside of Jerusalem. Better days are coming from Aerosmith. Better days are coming from Carlock. Better days are, are coming from Danvers. Better days are coming from Hayworth. Better days are coming from Emden. Better days are coming from whatever small little community you can think of. Bethlehem? Why would better days come from Bethlehem? Now, Bethlehem was known among God's people. It was an obscure town for sure. It was a tiny little town. But Bethlehem was known, uh, it actually shows up 41 times throughout the Old Testament. So it's an obscure town, but it's not a powerful town. It's a sleepy little village. Bethlehem shows up in, originally in Genesis 35. Uh, where Rachel is buried in Bethlehem. That's where we first read and hear about Bethlehem. You maybe know the story of Ruth. Anybody read the book of Ruth? A lot of the book of Ruth takes place in and around Bethlehem. But Bethlehem was really put on the map because it was the birthplace of the first two kings of Israel, Saul and David. That's what it was known for. It's, that's where they were born. It's, it's like you're driving down uh, 74 to Peoria, right? And you see the sign of uh, College University of Ronald Reagan, Eureka. That's what Eureka is known for, right? 
So if they had a sign, you would see this sign that said Bethlehem, known as the birthplace of, of Saul and King David. And that's kind of it. But it was this mile marker along the road. And it, but that really gave it its significance. That was Bethlehem. And of course, David was a shepherd, and so Micah talks about this, the importance of uh, one who he will stand and shepherd his flock. Bethlehem, Ephrathah, literally translated, Bet, house of Lechem, bread, house of bread. It's known as the house of bread, Ephrathah which means uh, f uh, uh, what's the word? fruition or uh, abundance is probably a better translation. So it's not just a house of bread, but it's a house of bread in abundance. It's this little town that they just do a lot of baking of bread there. And those of you who know your Old Testament history know that whenever a Jewish person, an Israelite, thought of bread, they automatically were reminded of those 40 years where God's people, the Israelites, wandered around in the wilderness. And day by day, when there was nothing around them, God provided manna, bread, daily for them to eat. And so for when we think about bread, we think about what we think about with bread. But for the Israelites, when they thought about bread, it was something so much more. Bread was literally a gift from God. It provided substance and it provided them life so they could continue on. And this was the place where the future Messiah, the one who is going to rescue them. Bethlehem. We think, wow, getting ready, pointing to Jesus. And it's not so much that Micah is writing about Bethlehem that I think is extraordinary. 700 years before uh, Jesus was going to show up on the scene. But you have to understand the geography to really appreciate what's going on here in the text. Fast forward 700 years. Caesar Augustus, you guys know this story, right? We, we, we recite this story every year. Caesar Augustus issues a census that all the people were to go to their hometowns. Now, um, we in America are getting ready to uh, go through a census in, in 2020, right? So in just a few months, uh, you're gonna have three options uh, to fill out a census. You can either fill it out by paper, uh, you can do it by phone, um, or uh, you can do it online. And if you fail to do any of those three, um, somebody's probably going to come knocking at your door, right? And they're going to want to ask you a couple questions. Now, the thing about our census is you're going to be able to fill out that census in, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 minutes max. It's going to be pretty easy. It's going to be pretty painless for you to fill out your census. And, and by the way, um, we're likely here in the state of Illinois going to lose somebody in the House of Representatives. You know that, right? But it, it really is important that we all participate in the census in 2020, because this is how the, uh, the, the House of Representatives gets divvied up. That's, that's kind of an, uh, uh, another story. But in ancient times, you had one way. There was only one way to participate in the census. You had to show up at the place where you were born. And so Caesar Augustus issued a census because he was getting ready to levy taxes on the people. And there were no exceptions to this. It did not matter. And so everybody had to go to their ancestral home. Now, those of you who, are who were born in Bloomington Normal, you're like, yeah, big deal. Just go down to the county courthouse, right? Yeah, it's not a big deal if you're from Bloomington Normal. I was born in Red Wing, Minnesota. 
which is about a seven hour drive from here. It would be kind of inconvenient for me to drive all the way to Red Wing, Minnesota, uh, just to fill out this census form. My wife was born in a little uh, island off the coast of Africa. That's really inconvenient if she's supposed to go to her ancestral home. And I mean, we could go around the room and talk about her ancestral home, you know, where you were born, but that's what's going on here. This is what they had to do, is they had to go back. And for some people, it was really inconvenient. And they had to take a detour. There were no exceptions to the rules. And so Joseph looks at Mary and says, guess what? I know you're nine months pregnant, but we got to go. And so, Jamie, I, I've got to put a map up here because I don't know that we can always appreciate it. Mary and Joseph, they lived in Nazareth. They did not live in Bethlehem. And they had to travel through the wilderness, through a desert, in order to get to Bethlehem. You can see it's about six miles south of, of Jerusalem there. Can we all agree this was really inconvenient? Nine months pregnant, let's go on a road trip, right? On a donkey. What a major detour. See, when we hear the word Bethlehem, we're like, oh, yeah, that's where Jesus is born and in a manger and it was a starry night and the shepherds and the angels and the wise men, right? Mary and Joseph are thinking, are you kidding me? This sounds awful. This is a major disruption to our lives. Isn't it amazing? I just think this is so remarkable that 700 years before Jesus showed up on the scene, God said, Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem. And God uses a, a, a king, a Caesar, a Caesar Augustus to get them there. I mean, this is absolutely remarkable. Jesus should have been born in Nazareth because that's where they lived. But they were on detour in the moment. And I can just imagine, there's Mary. Her family's not there. Her mother's not there. She's with this guy. No midwife, no room at the inn, right? I mean, there is just nothing about the birth of Jesus that is all is calm, all is bright, right? It's smelly animals, and she's pregnant, and they're just like, what in the world? But God says, you know what? 700 years before, this is where the Messiah is going to be born because the Messiah is in the lineage of King David because the Messiah is going to be a king. They had to travel south, but they were on detour. And I, I just cannot imagine that Mary was super excited about this road trip. But God, God used this detour in Mary and Joseph's life for th something so much greater. And so I just want to ask you this morning, whatever detour you're on, could God be using it for something greater? Could God be using your detours for something greater? I look back over my own life and I think about my own detours in the moment, I, I hated them. They were painful. They were inconvenient. I felt like I was just wandering about, flailing about mostly. In the moment, I hated the detour. Nobody likes detours. 
I mean, there, there you're driving down the road, you see brake lights up ahead, pretty soon you get off the road. And before you know it, you're no longer on the freeway, you're on some winding part of the country that you've, you've never been on. You're like, oh, for the love of Pete, when are we ever gonna get back on the road again, right? I mean, a detour by definition is inconvenient and nobody likes detours. I don't know what detour you're on. I know it's painful. I know it's no fun. I know you feel like you're floundering. I know you're feeling like you're struggling. But I wonder if God's got you on a detour for something greater, for some greater purpose. God used a man by the name of Micah to say, you're going on detour. You're going on detour. You're not going to see it now. My glory is going to show up way later. And then God used Mary and Joseph to go on another detour to Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Why would we go there? Because God's got a greater purpose. Let us pray. God, we thank you this morning for the ways in which you stick with us when we're on detours. Lord, sometimes it feels like we've moved off of plan A, plan B, plan C, we're some down, somewhere down X, Y, Z, and, and beyond. We are detour upon detour, Lord. And some of us are worn out. And so God, I wanna pray for my brothers and sisters this morning. They're trying to find their way back. Trying to find their way back to you. Trying to find their way back to what makes sense in this world. But God, you used a man like Micah. You used people like Mary and Joseph in their detours of life. And God, we believe that you're still using us while we're on detour for something greater something greater, God, that we just can't see now. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.